Hey everybody, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the North Point Community Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free North Point app where you can access all of our recent message content. And actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at North Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, before we jump in, I want to say a quick hello uh, to those of you joining us across the city, uh, across the country, really around the world. Uh, We're glad you could join us, Uh, especially those of you who are traveling your way from our churches. uh, It's always great that you can stay connected with us uh, when you're traveling. I especially want to say hello to some friends of mine that I invited to come sit with me, but they live closer to to Alpharetta uh, and North Point, so they're up at North Point today um, to help them and to help all of us, uh, regardless of what your, your location. If you're with somebody else, I want you to learn a little bit and understand the people you're sitting around a little better. So I thought I'd start with a, a couple of quick polls um, just to get an idea of who we're sitting around. Here's the first one. Um, this is a really important one. Uh, it's an easy way to judge people and understand uh, them. Um, does the toilet paper go under or does it go over? I need everybody to participate. Where are my under people? Under? Toilet paper goes under? Okay. And how about toilet paper goes over? We do have a bunch of holy people. That's awesome. Uh, hopefully, uh, everybody else voted the same. Here's another one. This is a softball. This is an easy one. Coke or Pepsi? Where are my Coke people? How about Pepsi people? Pepsi people? You live in the wrong city. Okay. Um, how about this one? Beach or mountains? Beach or mountains? Where are my beach people? All right, the beach people. How about mountains people? Okay. All right. So, so a little more beach than mountains. How about this one right here? It's an important one. Where are my LeBron people? Go to go greatest of all time. How about MJ? All right. How, how about this guy right here? He doesn't get a lot of love. We got a lot of Kobe people now, so I love that. Okay, so I just I have to confession before we go forward. I just I'll feel better if I say this. I'm not sure how I feel about being at a church with under Pepsi Mountain Bron people. I just got to say that. To get that off my chest, um, I think we're going to work through it. The gospel can hold us together, but um, I'm just a little, a little stressed about that today. Okay, how about this one? Vax or no vax? You ready? Just kidding. I'm not going to make you vote for this one. We're not ready for that, people. We're, we're too fragile for that, so maybe by the end of the message we can get there. But if you're watching, like, don't tune out. It's going to be okay, I promise. Um, I want you to pay attention to that tension, though. I want to talk a little bit about that today. Um, doesn't it seem like in our world today that people disagree more often and more intensely than at least in a really long time or ever before in my lifetime? Uh, it's, it's also interesting that for centuries in the West, um, particularly in our society, in our culture here in America, some of you may be watching from different parts of the world, there's been general consensus around some of the basic questions of human existence, things that are actually debated today, like what is moral virtuous behavior, or what's the value of family, or what's the role of men, or the role of women in society, or what is male, and what is female. Or what are the rights of children? And look, there's always been disagreements, but they've become more frequent and more fundamental and more fierce in our society. And with that comes fear. 
which is interesting. And we're going to talk about why that is in a minute. But this fear makes topics like vaccines and policing and race and immigration and gender and abortion and gun violence. It makes them more explosive and more divisive than ever. Now, now that I have everyone's undivided attention and all of our armpits are sweating, including mine, you all want to know, where is this going? Like, where, where is he going with all this? Today, we're continuing our series, Friendology. And we, we've been talking about some of the things that, that keep us from developing the type of, of meaningful cultural, or the, the, a culture of meaningful relationships in our lives, the, the type of relationships we need. And there's at least three significant barriers. In week one, we talked about the fact that we're becoming increasingly isolated in our culture, which ironically was actually the very first problem uh, in, in the scriptures. It's on page two. Everything was good on page one that God created. And then he discovered that mankind, not the man, but mankind was alone. And he said, it's not good for the man to be alone. And so uh, he, he created woman and, and he created ultimately community to reflect the community of, of the Trinity. We talked about that in week one. And the, the other thing that's been reflected recently, our Surgeon General released uh, a, a, uh, an advisory we talked about in week one about an, an epidemic that's followed the pandemic that he said could be the greatest epidemic or the greatest challenge our country ever faces. And it's the epidemic of, of loneliness and isolation. And in the, in the longest-running study on happiness, uh, along with that, we discover that positive relationships keep us happier and healthier. And from a medical perspective, they even help people live longer. And so being isolated is not good. And, and we've also discovered that, that we're prone towards independence and wanting to live independent lives. And this starts when we're young. Uh, moving from dependence to independence is, is what is a sign in our culture of maturity, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we move to a place of independence in the world and we move more and more in that direction. And we're not, we're not meant to live that way, live life on our own, as we talked about. And, and we're not only not meant to live life on our own, we're not meant to face life's successes or life's struggles. We talked about challenges with both. We're not meant to face, face those on our own. The New Testament, it's why it, over a hundred times it talks about what we're to be toward one another which is why we're talking about this series, because we need one another. And, and it's important for us to live interdependently with one another. And, and as a matter of fact, psychologists have identified these seven keystones of, of relationships, of a healthy network of relationships, things that we all need. And they're basically a categor, categorization of, of these one another's of the New Testament. Healthy, mature people, as we talked about, live interdependently, not independently of other people. They live interdependently with other people. And when we don't, this is, this is where we're, what we want to talk about today. When we don't, it's much easier to cancel those people we disagree with, which is where we are in our culture. We collectively and, and, and individually, we've become far more insulated in our world, uh, insulated in our views, insulated from other people that disagree with us, uh, that are around us. We've become far more insulated, and that's what I want to talk about today because it's actually something that's, that's not great for us. We live increasingly uh, in curated worlds. You know this, but we, we don't talk about it often in public settings like this, but we only follow, and we only watch, and we only purchase and participate in. We're only friends with online the people that agree with us, the people that have the same opinions enough, things that agree with us. And our primary curation agents are these guys right here, Right? Like this, this, when you think about all the things we engage with, all of these things through our, our likes and our dislikes, 
they, they curate what we want to see and what makes us feel good. And we easily dislike and unfriend and unfollow and cancel those things that disagree with us. And then, conveniently, we don't have to deal with them, right? It, it, it makes us feel better about life. It makes us feel safer, and it makes life simpler. And, and that's, that's sort of our motivation. And logically, that feels good to us. But this is, what, this is sort of the case I want to make today. And I just, I need you to hang with me for a minute. Like, it's actually not good. I mean, it feels good. And, and, and we like it, and it makes life smoother, but, it, but it's not good for us. Now, I'm going to talk about relationships today that, that actually disrupt and, and, and challenge us. And, and what I'm not talking about, this is my disclaimer for the whole message, what I'm not talking about is uh, the fact that there are times in life when we have to distance ourselves from certain people that are detrimental or that are toxic or abusive. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, and, and, and I wonder, how many of us have unfriended or unfollowed people uh, that were once close or valuable friends over their views of masks or vaccine mandates. And, and maybe we agree with them on everything else, and, but they're, they're, because of that, we see them completely differently now. And, and knowing what we know now, is, is that actually safer? Was it, was it actually safer for you to cancel that person or unfriend them or distance yourself from that person? Don't answer this one. Another rhetorical question. How many, of, how many relationships do you have? I want you to think about your closest relationships. How many relationships do you have that would be completely unaffected if you found out they voted for this guy? Or, or they voted for this guy? How, how many of your friendships, if somebody voted for the other guy, would be completely unaffected? Your view of that person, their judgment, their wisdom, their sanity would be called into question. I mean, it's, it's a real question, and this is the world we live in, and you should think about this, because for, for, for most of us, for many of us, the answer is zero. But why is that? It, it, we live in this, this world where we've curated our, our, even our closest relationships and our friendships, and, and it can seem simpler. It, it, can, it can feel a lot simpler. But, but here's the truth is, it makes you simpler, it makes you more simple-minded. It, it, it's, I think this is the right word. It's actually impoverishing for you to separate yourself from others just because you disagree. Because it insulates you from others' disrupting views, which you need in your life. Did you know, did you know from a neurological perspective, my friend is a leadership coach. Uh, his name's Keith. He taught me this. Nothing promotes growth more than challenge and contradiction. Nothing in life promotes growth more than challenge and contradiction. And we're trying to curate all of it out of our lives. Neuroscience has actually proven that social interactions that disrupt or provoke you mentally, they stimulate new neural pathways and they expand cognitive function, which, which, which proves from a neuroscience perspective that it's not good for you to get rid of all the disagreement, to get rid of all the things that, that don't, don't agree with you. And it's precisely what the scriptures talk about in the Proverbs. The wisdom of the Proverbs says, look, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And we all know that phrase and we like that phrase, but we don't think about the violence of this phrase. As iron sharpens iron or, or as steel sharpens steel, it's two strong things running into each other. Like that's, that's how you sharpen one another. It's two strong opinions, two strong ideas running into each other. They actually make each other sharper and stronger. 
And it seems, it seems simpler and easier and comfortable to avoid it, to avoid challenge. But you know this, there's, there's no growth in your comfort zone. And there's no comfort in your growth zone. So if you want to grow, this comfortable world that we've curated is not the right environment to be in. And the type of challenge and contradiction that promotes growth in us, it also, it does another thing. And this is why we push back on it. It exposes insecurity in us. It's, it's why we're threatened by it. We're threatened by it. So, so we, we try to get rid of it and we try to clear it out of our lives because we, we, don't, we don't like how it makes us feel. In fact, several years ago, I was talking with my counselor and I may have told some of you this story before, and I was talking about a specific relationship that I was having a challenge in, and, and I was explaining how this person was behaving, and, and I was explaining how I was trying to respond and, and be the bigger person, and, you know, and, and I, how I was acting, and, and at one point, she got quiet, and, and she, didn't, she didn't really, you know, say anything, and I said, well, what are you thinking? And she said, well, if I'm honest, I listen, how do you respond? I thought, that's not how a strong, healthy man responds. And I was so mad. I've never wanted to fight a woman in my life, but I, I wanted to fight her. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm the bigger person and I'm right. And, and I was so mad. And, and, and what, it, what it revealed in me as we talked more, it re- revealed that I, I was really actually fragile. I was insecure. And my emotional reaction and my wanting to, to cancel her and, and, and wanting to, to end our relationship right at that point um, was the very thing that would have kept me from growing. See, the current climate of our culture, it not only gives us permission to cancel these relationships and to dismiss and unfriend and unfollow the people that disagree with us, it actually applies pressure to us to do so. In fact, when we feel threatened, like that's the sign. When we feel threatened, culture says that person's bad, that person's evil. You should get rid of that person because you feel threatened. But we're the ones that lose. And is it possible that what we feel threatened by is not actually because of them, it's actually because of something that's happening inside of us? The Apostle Paul addresses this in the New Testament. He's writing to a group of churches. He, he writes several letters, but this, this letter is to a, a, a group of people in a church that he started and that he's coaching. And when he addresses this, he couldn't address it more differently to this, this group dealing with internal conflict. This is what he writes. He said, look, okay, I, I want to start from, from ground zero. I want to forge a new foundation. Look, in this new life, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile if you're circumcised or uncircumcised, if you're barbaric, if you're uncivilized, if you're slave or free, which I, at first, just right there, I go, that's a diverse group of people. Like imagine the differing opinions and backgrounds and viewpoints and experience from these people. I mean, their, their beliefs are probably all over the place, which when, when, when you think about this, when it comes to our beliefs, our beliefs sort of are like, like a cone. In fact, I learned this from a, a, a seminary professor I had. And one of the things he said was when it comes to our beliefs, you know, that there are, there are three types of beliefs. And you don't, you don't always know which type of belief you have, but we have beliefs. And some of them, some of them are facts or they're based on fact. And, and these, these things are the things that are really true. And, and maybe we know they're true. Maybe we don't know if they're, they're true. But there are certain things you believe that are facts. And I know you think that all the things you believe are facts, but they're not. Because some of them, some of them are just your opinions. 
And, and you think you're right, but you just haven't run into something that, that, that broke your opinion yet, that, that reshaped your opinion. Maybe there's a perspective that you needed or that you didn't have. And then, and then the other one is, is just feelings. You know, it, it's not even to the level of opinion. It's more like, yeah, that's what I think. That's, that's how I feel about it. You know, it's your, sort of your gut reaction. And, and again, some of those might be right, but many of them aren't. And so there's these, these three different levels of, of, of belief. And, and here's the thing. When it comes to our beliefs, the, the level of certainty, the level of certainty in our beliefs, it goes this way. The, the, the closer certainty, there we go. Um, the level of, of um, belief increases as we go up this cone. And, and as you notice, there's very few things that are here at the top. Like, because there's a lot of things that you believe that, that aren't actually true. And, and this, is, this is true of all of us. And the, there's more things that, you, you, that are just your opinions. And there's even more things that you have strong feelings about that are, that are really not facts, but they're, they're what you believe. And, and the Apostle Paul's trying to bring some, some clarity to this. And he goes, hey, at the very top here, there's only a few things up here, but right here at the very, very tip top of this, here's what you need to know. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. So in this new life, doesn't matter what your background is. You got different views, you got different opinions, you come from different backgrounds. That's not necessarily a problem. But here's what you need to know. Christ is all that matters and he's in all of you. And, and, and that's really, really important because he's going, this is the facts. And, and, and the, the, the truth is, is, is this is how our beliefs work, but this is how relationships work. And you know this, as, as you move down the cone, you move to different depths of relationships. Our depths of relationships move downward in this cone. And, and in your conversations, if you just think about your conversations, just factual conversations about the weather and what time it is and what's going on in the news, I mean, those are, those are just surface-level relationships. And, and that factual content is the most basic surface level of, of all of our conversations and relationships. But as we share opinions and we share feelings, relationships move to a new depth. And, and it, psychologists have long talked about the fact that many relationships have a hard time getting past the opinion level to the feelings level, where we forge the deepest of friendships and the deepest of intimate relationships. I was released, recently listening to Matthias Barker, though, um, who's a, a Christian psychotherapist out of Nashville, and he made this fascinating uh, insight he had this fascinating insight about our culture. And he said that cancel culture, in his estimation and in the research he's done, he's realized that cancel culture has had a profound effect on this. And now our primary insecurity is not sharing feelings. We don't even get to that level. It's sharing opinions. And the reason is, is for fear of being judged or rejected by people, which psychologists claim is our deeper subconscious motivation. It ensures we don't have to deal with people who could reject us. So when you cancel people first, when you get them away from you and only have to deal with the people that agree with you, you have less risk of people canceling you. And you do it because you think it's, it's protecting you. But this is also the reason we do this for our kids. And, and, and we don't want them, we want to insulate our kids from rejection and from failure because we, we want to protect them but do you know that actually makes them weaker and less resilient? I mean, like, 
actually makes them weaker and less resilient. I'm, I'm not judging you because I'm this parent. My wife would tell you, like, I was the kid. My mom let me do whatever I wanted because she, I, she couldn't control me. I did a lot of dumb things. It's a wonder I'm still alive. When my kids get on something high, I'm like, get, get, whoa, 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 get down, get down. You're going to get hurt. I mean, I'm, that's me. And I don't know why I'm that way, but there's an insecurity in me. And maybe it has to do with losing a family member that's close to me, but I'm, I'm, I'm afraid in that. And it's, it's not about them. It's about me. And when we respond in our insecurity, what we do is we actually make ourselves weaker and less resilient, and it's counterintuitive. And as a result, we're becoming more and more fragile as a society, which is why it's hard to have conversations about anything meaningful with people that may disagree with us so that we could learn is because we're afraid of, of them canceling us or rejecting us, and, and we're quick to cancel them or reject them. And, and and it's simultaneously shallowing our relationships across the culture. And it's not any different in the world than it is in the church. In the church, it's the same way. And while that's the way of culture, it's not the way of Christ. The Apostle Paul goes on, he says, look, since, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness, and patience. And I think he, he chose this carefully because this is about how you present yourself. This is what you put on. It's, it's not necessarily what's inside of you. It's not necessarily your natural reaction. But he said, look, when you wake up in the morning, you need, this is what you need to put on. You need to put on tenderhearted mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. God chose you. He set you apart. He gave you this new life. And this is how he wants you to present yourself. This is how you represent him. Imagine, imagine if we approached one another this way. And it's easy when we all agree. You're going, oh yeah, I, I do that. Well, that's because you live in a curated, insulated world. He, he goes on though, he, he says this. He says, look, this is what that means. You need to make allowance for each other's faults and, and forgive anyone who offends you. He, it, it's like, this is what you need to do. You need to move toward people with tenderhearted mercy and humility and kindness and, and patience, even when, or or especially when they're wrong or they're in the wrong or they offend you. Here's what you need to remember. Remember, the Lord forgave you. And so you must forgive one another. You've made your mistakes. You needed to grow. You still do. So do I. And you know how God treats us? With kindness, with patience, forgiving us. Forgiving us the way that we ought to forgive other people. That's the way of Jesus. That's what you've been chosen for. That's what you need to clothe yourselves with. And above all that, clothe yourselves with love, which sounds really like, you know, gushy and ooey-gooey and be really kind to each other. But do you know what's loving? What's loving is moving for, toward people and sacrificing. That's what, how he defined love. Love is not that you love one another, but that, that God gave his son for you and Christ went to the cross and died for you. He sacrificed his life for you. That's the way of love. Clothe yourself with that, a willingness to sacrifice because that binds us all together in perfect unity. And when somebody else is wrong or when you feel insecure, it's like you're the one that ought to approach them 
in sacrificial love, choosing to sacrifice on your end, because this is what Christ did for you. And the truth is, is we don't, we don't do that. We, we prefer being around people who make us feel good about ourselves. But, but when you think about this, when you think about this way of sacrifice, there's two ways to do this, to sacrifice your opinion, to sacrifice being right. But, it, but it's also sometimes being willing to be honest with other people and to tell them the truth and, and to share with them. And we have to be both bold and resilient, all of us together at the same time. And you have to read the room and know when people can handle this. But, but here's the thing. Um, many of us push away or hold at arm's length the people who challenge us. But think about this. The people that say hard things to us. But honestly, isn't that actually more loving than them saying nothing? I mean, that's real love is when a friend risks the friendship. I know this might cost, a, cost us in our friendship, but you're more important than that. And so I may lose something, but I don't want you to lose. I, I, I want you to be better. I want you to grow. I, I, I want you to actually be able to handle this and move beyond this thing that's challenging you in life. He goes on, he says, let, let the peace that comes from Christ, from being united in Christ, rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace with one another. This is, this is fundamental number one from our, our fundamentalists. Remember the fundamentalists? The very first one was Jesus is God's son and our king. Jesus Christ rules in our hearts and his rule in our hearts is what leads us to peace. It's what this fundamental idea is what gives us the solid foundation when we allow the sovereign rule of Christ to govern our lives. From that flows this supernatural peace. Because the, 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 the foundation that we have, we, we gain this greater confidence amid, just in the midst of, of diverse opinions and, and perspectives and ideas, you don't have to be insecure because your standing, who you are, is secure regardless of what other people think of you, regardless of, of people associating you with one idea or another or with one candidate or another. It's like, oh yeah, because you supported that, you believe all of these things. I mean, that's what we do in our culture and we feel threatened by that. But here's the thing, feeling threatened simply by viewpoints and opinions of other people is evidence that something else is governing our lives. It's either our pride. I mean, there's probably more, but oftentimes it's either our pride. I gotta be right. I wanna be right. I don't wanna be wrong. I'll show you. I can argue my point. I've been wrong. I've, I've argued this point for too many people. I've represented this idea for a long time and I wanna save face. And, and you would never say it that way, but that's what's behind all that. And our pride is all wrapped up in, in some of our beliefs and ideas. And, and then on the other side, there's fear. And there's, there's fear that's been created by the world out there. And the world online, the mob online, really, that tells us like, hey, if that's a slippery slope, you believe that and, and you go that route or, or you affirm that idea. And guess what? You're going you're gonna to affirm all of these things and we're afraid people will cancel us and, and misassociate us and, mis, and, and miscategorize us. And that's a fundamental misappropriation of what's governing our lives. And it's not the rule of Christ. Pride and fear are not something that Christ uses to motivate us in our lives. So, so I want to I talk really practically. 
Like, what, what, is, what does this mean? I want, I want to just, uh, I'd like to suggest that there's at least three keys. There's at least three keys to, to surviving this and, and, and really maintaining, creating, and retaining the type of diverse relationships, the diverse meaningful relationships that actually help us grow. The first one is this. The first one I would say is you got to be clear. And, and we talked about this. This is why I think the Apostle Paul started out the way he did. You have to be clear about what's fundamental, what, what's foundational for you and for your life and your relationships. The, this corresponds to the factual level. The Apostle Paul, he's talking about on a factual level, what, what are you most certain about? And, and it's not the deepest level of relationship. Don't miss this. But it is the most foundational level of relationship. It's not to the deep levels, but it forms a strong foundation for your relationships. Common ground, as you know, is the substance that determines durability in relationships. And when our common ground is, is something weak, I mean, the, when there are things that are not fundamental, when there are things like, oh, but he's really cute, or she makes me feel good about myself, or, or they're, you know, they're, 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 they've got a lot of money, they do a lot of nice things for me. And, you know, when, when it's all those types of things, like, that's that's... That's not a strong relationship. See, the more fundamental the common ground in our relationships, the stronger the foundation is. That's why the Apostle Paul said, look, when it comes to your new life in Christ, that's what matters. In fact, he said, that's all that matters. I mean, there's other things that are fundamentals, but the thing that's really at the tip here, if you call yourself a Jesus follower, if not, this is, this is still going to be helpful, but if you call yourself a Jesus follower, this is not optional. It's, it's like, this is required. Like, what's at the very top? The thing that matters the most is that Christ's life is in you. And Christ's life is in that other person. You are both created in his image. And that's got to be primary in terms of how you see yourself and your identity. And that forges and, and creates a stronger foundation in our relationships, regardless of your, your differing beliefs, differing opinions. You can survive those things. If your foundation's strong. The second thing is this, is I think we need to not only be clear, we need to be curious. I mean, we have lost this in our culture. I mean, when's the last time somebody brought up an idea, a differing idea to you or challenged your belief, and instead of arguing your point or coming back with your rebuttal, you just said, huh, tell me more. Like, what makes you say that? I'd be interested to know, like, how you got to that. And, and what happens is, is our, our, our pride and our fear, they get in the way. And they're the enemy of curiosity. And, and so we don't ask. And, and by the way, I don't know if you know this, but in academia, for, for a long time, it, um, our opinions have been considered the lowest forms of human knowledge. Do you know this? In academia, anytime somebody's uh, wanting to offer an opinion, they're basically saying, hey, listen, take this for what it's worth. It's just an opinion. It's not seen as, it doesn't matter how big an expert you are. This is code for, and it's cluing you into, this might not be right. But that's not how we see our opinions. They're, they're lower forms of human knowledge because they're based on self-understanding, a limited perspective. And an expert knows this. When they talk about something that's not their expertise, they go, look, this is what I'm an expert at, but if you want to know my opinion on that, here's my opinion. This, I know for sure. I've studied this. But that's just an opinion. But here's what we do. We've elevated opinions above empathy. Here's why this matters. Because empathy requires us to suspend our egos. 
and, and to see something from someone else's perspective, to live in another person's world. But it leads to deeper and greater understanding. It leads to deeper relationship and curiosity. Curiosity and empathy. They, they, you need to understand this. Curiosity and empathy, they don't mean agreement and alignment. Like you don't have to agree and, and align with somebody else's beliefs to be curious and empathetic. But when you are, it cultivates new depth, both in our character and our beliefs and in the relationship with the person that we're talking to. Uh, in, in her book, um, uh, Braving the Wilderness, uh, Brene Brown, she says this, people, people are hard, quote, people are hard to hate close up. So you should move in. And when somebody disagrees with you, you know, we're tempted to cancel, we're tempted to, to dislike, to unfollow, but what if you just got curious? I mean, what if you decided to move towards them to maybe, as the old saying goes, walk a mile in their shoes, become empathetic? I mean, if you want to be really radical in our culture today, cancel, cancel culture. That's how you do it. You cancel, cancel culture. And, 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 and the reason is, is because cancel culture, it, it hooks us with this bait of guilt by association, which is something Jesus was never concerned with. He, in fact, he was primarily, I mean, talk about the original victim of cancel culture. I mean, the people that believed like Jesus the most canceled Jesus for hanging out with sinners and eating with them. And Jesus is spending time with those people. He never worried about guilt by association. He saw it as an opportunity to influence by listening and being empathetic and understanding and meeting needs. And he did this over and over. I can't help but wonder if that's what his brother James got from him. James, in, in, in James chapter one, he says this. this is, you've heard this before. Be quick to listen and slow to speak, which I don't think any of us can hear that enough because that is countercultural. That's not the way our world works. It's like, we want the megaphone first. We want to speak first. We talk over each other. We debate issues instead of actually listening to one another. We listen, and while the other person's talking, we're formulating our argument rather than actually listening to them. And, he's, and the apostle, or excuse me, um, uh, James says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. And then look at this. He says, and slow to get angry, which is curious. It, it's, an, it's a bit of an odd addition, actually. To, to the list because he, he says, look, you need to be quick to, or, uh, so, sorry, quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. And, and I think the reason he says that is because that's what happens to insecure people without a strong foundation. Like we react and in our emotions, we're driven by how this makes us feel when somebody differs with our opinion. And instead of listening for the other person's strongest point and considering that, what we do is we latch on to their weaker points because we can disprove, disprove them and refute them. And if we can refute them, we throw out their whole argument. But what if instead, when somebody has a different opinion, you, 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 you got curious and you saw it as an opportunity to grow? Sometimes it's going to shift your perspective. At other times, it just solidifies your perspective. Because if you, if you can find an answer or formulate an answer to their strongest opinion or their strongest argument, your position and your confidence in your own position becomes stronger. And so, so we have to be, be clear and to be curious. And the third thing is we have to be cautious which some of you are thinking, oh, finally. We finally, with all this crazy talk, we got, we got cautious up there. We need to be cautious. But this is not what you think. 
In fact, here's why you need to be cautious is because our feelings and our emotions more than anything else cloud our decision-making ability. And God gave us emotions as indicators. I mean, our emotions are indicators of things. Positive emotions are indicators of things that are right. And negative emotions are indicators of something that's wrong. Here's the problem. is we, When we experience a negative emotion in a relationship with someone in our life, we reflexively attribute what's wrong with them. Is it possible that that negative emotion you're feeling is not because something's wrong with them? but it's something that's wrong in us. See, our emotions have the ability to betray us. And too often we allow our relationships to be eroded or even destroyed because we've misassociated what's wrong. And and more often it's not something that's going on in them. It's something that's going on in us. And so we have to be clear about what's foundational. And we have to be curious about other people's opinions and ideas. And we have to be cautious. We have to be cautious about what's going on inside of us. Several years ago, um, I did something that I don't even know I'm, a, I'm this courageous now, but I was, uh, had my leadership team uh, was a group of people that I really respected a lot. And, and I, I noticed that there was a, a less engagement in some of our meetings. And we were, we were having these meetings on a regular basis. We're talking about really important things. And, and I noticed people were engaging less and less. And there were, they were some important decisions that were ahead of us. And we were trying to, it was multi-week conversation, trying to sort some of these things out. And I, I decided in the midst of that, I just thought, I'm not getting out of this what I need to get out of. So I decided to um, do a self-imposed 360. Some of you may or may not know what that is. Um, but it, I, I, I hired a leadership coach. And I said, hey, I want to get feedback from everybody around me. And so she helped me employ an a, a, a anonymous survey of my, the people that worked around me, my boss, my peers, and the people that worked directly for me. And they all filled out. They answered the same questions. And, and she got the results, and then she kind of put together the results, and we sat down. And at the top of the list was the fact that it said something like, Joel spends too much time explaining his thoughts and ideas when they differ from the group. Basically, it was like, he talks too much. And I was so irritated. And I, I, I told the, the, the person, the, the leadership coach, I, I, just, I just started, I, I was like, look, look I, I need to explain. Like, the reality is, is these people... <laughs> You know where this is going. She's like, you're doing it right now. I'm like, but yeah, but I, I, I just, if they understood, they saw from my perspective, I'll never forget this. This is what she looked at me. She looked at me and she said, look, you don't benefit from information you don't have. You already know what you think. You already know what you believe. You already know what you want to do. Why don't you listen to them? Why don't you listen to their viewpoints? You've got these people on this team for a reason. They're great leaders. They have good thoughts. When you spend the whole meeting explaining your ideas, you don't mind out of the meeting what you really need to get out of these people, and that's why they're disengaging. It changed my mindset. I saw differing viewpoints as opportunities to learn, to grow. See, True, meaningful, healthy relationships are becoming scarce in our world, particularly among adults. 
And in a world where we're becoming more isolated, we have to be more diligent about these relationships. We have to be more diligent to to forge meaningful relationships in our lives and not just have convenient relationships and functional relationships. But as adults, you need people you can find common ground with and forge deep, meaningful, interdependent relationships because we're trying to become independent, but we need to become more dependent on one another and interdependent in those relationships, as we talked about a few weeks ago, where we're leaning on people and we're allowing other people to lean on us because we need those relationships in life. You weren't meant to do life alone. And while it feels safer and it feels simpler and easier to be insulated from the views and beliefs and other people in your world that disagree with you in this new life under the rule of Christ and with your identity firmly placed in him, We have to value and preserve the type of diversity that exists within the body of Christ because our backgrounds are all different. I mean, many of you, and and I don't know, some of you, I don't know what your culture is like at your church, but many of you are pursuing this as part of our church, and our church is here in Atlanta. I mean, I tell people this all the time. This is the most diverse church I've ever been a part of in every possible way in life. Which, by the way, just makes leadership really fun <laughs> and challenging at times. But, but here's the thing. I mean, we're diverse politically and racially and socioeconomically and generationally. And it's beautiful. And it's challenging. But our culture is working against us. And we must keep the fundamental things fundamental. We have to be clear about what's fundamental. And we have to be careful to, to not shut other people down and be curious about why they are the way they are and why their opinions are what they are because there's, there's often opportunities for us to learn there. And we have to be cautious because our feelings and our emotions betray us. And we've become more fragile as individuals and as a society as we live in these buffered worlds where we've curated all of the things that are challenging and disagreeing and disrupting in our lives out. So when they come, we shrink back. Here's the thing I encourage you. If you're not connected, if you're not connected in your church or in this church, right around the corner is our season of connection. And someone at your location is going to tell you more about this, but this is more important than ever. I finish with this. If we fail, this is the Surgeon General's warning, if we fail to build a more connected society and live more connected lives, we will pay an ever-increasing price in the form of our individual and collective health and well-being. And we will continue to splinter and divide until we can no longer stand as a community or as a country. Instead of coming together to take on the greatest challenges before us, we will further retreat to our corners, angry, sick, and alone. And I say, may it not be so. Not here. Not on our watch. May we move in toward one another, even in our disagreements, and allow Christ and his life that's in us and is all that matters to hold us and pull us together. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Let me pray for you. God, thank you um, for opportunity to talk about things like this in a place um, and amongst a community uh, here in our city and across the country of, of like-minded people. But I, I pray that we wouldn't be so like-minded that we wouldn't continue to grow and 
and expand our, our views and, and our influence. But I pray just the opposite, that, that in the, um, amid our, our diversity of views and opinions, that, that we would move towards one another in, in unity and, and a, allow your life to hold us together and be a model for our communities around us, for our cities around us. And maybe even the church could forge a new trajectory and a new trend in the culture across our country that would completely change the trajectory of community in our world. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.